having a reception day, right? We love to, to get together and, and, and celebrate, uh, to maybe exchange gifts. Uh, sorry, there will be no gifts today, but, um, but, but gifts are fun and a great way to celebrate together. Uh, what about some good food, huh? Anyone care for that? Maybe, maybe like a party with gifts and food, with your friends and family? Are we getting closer now? Huh? Like, um, and, and, and surely some of you, if not most of you, would say, by all means, uh, this time of the year, I love some extra space to consider who Jesus is, why he came, and what that means, not only for me, but for those around me that I love. There are many reasons to be grateful for this time of the year. And, and one that we haven't mentioned yet, which I, I hope is probably true for you as is true for me, is music, right? Like we argued a couple of weeks ago that music is woven into the fabric of creation. And I think we could say music is woven into the fabric of Christmas as well, right? I mean, so like these kids who just exited to go down to their classes, I'm sure the, the, the youngest among them could probably help us out with that song that was penned here in Medford, thank you very much, by Mr. James Pierpont, uh, that begins like this, right? Dashing through the snow, everybody knows? And I want, we don't, we're going to sing it this morning, all right? But, um, but yeah, Jingle Bells was penned right here in Medford, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, not... Not, not, not Woburn, all right? Not Somerville. I'm not hating if you live in Somerville. I'm just saying right here in Medford. Not Savannah. There's a controversy that it was written. It's like, no, right here, Medford. So that's a, that's a kid's song. What about just some other Christmas, like, radio classics? You know, like, chestnuts roasting on a... Hey, I've got a cold today, all right? Don't hate on me. Um, you know, that's one of my favorites. I mean, you can go holly jolly Christmas. I mean, just, you know, dozens and dozens of songs that we all love. And then, of course, you have songs that point us to Christ. You can't spell Christmas without C-H-R-I-S-T, all right? Now, that's probably not the smoothest way to start a spiritual conversation or workplace, all right? I wouldn't recommend that, but I'm just saying facts are facts, right? So um, some songs that we love, like who, who among us, when O Holy Night is sung, that you just like by, by a powerful voice, you don't get chills as you, you hear of, of falling on your knees before this baby who came in the world to, to save us. Great lyrics fill songs that we sing even here on Sundays. I think about the words, he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Enjoy to the world. Like there, there is reasons that we can rejoice because as far as the, the effects of brokenness, that's what it means by curse, as far as the effects of brokenness have, have flowed to the earth, which is comprehensive, like all over the world, Jesus came to bring his blessing that far, right? To bring total salvation to our total brokenness. There is so much good news this time of the year. I would, I would say music helps make Christmas Christmas. Do you agree? Well, I think it, that God wants it this way. On the first Christmas night, there were angels that were singing and celebrating the Savior's arrival. There were shepherds who had a front row seat for his coming, and something tells me that they sang that night. And then, of course, you have 
Mary, who surely sung lullabies to her new baby boy named Jesus. But even before that first Christmas night, we find Mary singing about the reality of Christmas before Christmas even came to be. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we turn to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. We're going to look at a beautiful song that Mary penned months before the arrival of Jesus. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide for you, it's page 856 there in Luke chapter 1. Well, last week, Pastor John got us started in Luke 1, and he told us of the announcement to Mary that she would bear a child. Now, uh, as he explained, this was absolutely shocking for a variety of reasons, okay? Uh, Number one, there was an angel that showed up to speak to Mary, all right, now, I don't think this probably happened to anyone else here in the room. Okay, so that was like, that was not just like shocking. Okay, that would have been frightening. All right, whenever angels show up in the Bible, people get scared before they get encouraged. Okay, um, so, so Mary would have had that going on. Um, then the news that the angel shares is that she is going to have a child, which may have been more shocking than the angel showing up because as she told him, hey, um, that is impossible because I am a virgin. It can't be that I would have a child. But no, the third kind of shocker comes into the picture where the angel tells Mary, hey, um, this is going to happen by supernatural means. So I would just say, listen, if it's difficult for you to wrap your mind around the virgin birth of Jesus, even if it's hard for you to believe this morning, and we understand that at Redemption, these are major claims, I would just pose to you, it was probably more difficult for Mary to believe than for you to believe. And yet, in her confusion in her bewilderment, in her surprise, in her shock, Mary was filled with faith. And Mary believed the words that the angel spoke. She knew if God is, and God made the world, then God could make a baby in her womb without natural means. And so we see from the very beginning that Miracles bookend the life of Christ, his virgin birth, his life being raised from the dead of his own power. And then as we continue, we pick up in verse 39 that continues the story. It says this, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, let's pause. Let's just review for a second. Okay, Mary is going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is 
older in age and who was called by other people, and she assumed herself, barren. And so it was a, a major surprise that she was pregnant with child. And so, you know, we can safely assume that Mary went to stay with her in these early months of her pregnancy. Surely she greeted her and she came to congratulate her on, on the impending birth of John the Baptist. Okay, like we could have some fun with this and say like, you know, maybe Mary went there to kind of one-up her cousin. Like, hey, you were barren and, you know, like now you're having a baby. That's great. But, you know, hey, I'm pregnant with the Son of God, a little bigger deal, you know, like, um, but thankfully, all right, thankfully, Mary didn't do that, all right? I see some of you shaking your head. I'm sorry, all right? I just thought about that this week, all right? We know Mary uh, was much more godly than Pastor Tanner and would have never even thought of that, much less said it. Okay, thank you. Um, but, but she goes there, and we see the significance of what's happening in this exchange because Elizabeth just, she, the, the Scripture says she's filled with the Spirit, okay? God is, is giving her insight beyond her ability, and she knows that something amazing is happening here. And she says, look, who am I that the mother, did you, did you catch that? The mother of my Lord would visit me. Mary is saying this baby in Mary's womb is my Lord, is, is my God. An absolutely amazing statement. And this is what then leads Mary to burst forth in praise as we begin in verse 46. Mary says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, uh, the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her what we have here, what scholars refer to as the Magnificat, all right? This word is, comes from the, the Latin key word in the opening words, which, which we read magnify, okay? This is why it's called the Magnificat. It is a great song that Mary begins to sing to God here. And I just want to put some context for where we've been as a church. You remember two weeks ago, we looked at what it means to sing in the storm, right? To sing when life is not the way we want it to be and things are swirling around us and life is very difficult. Well, today we're not going to look at singing in, our, in the storm, okay? We're going to look at singing in celebration when things are exactly the way that we want them to be. You see, Mary erupts in praise, and it's little wonder that this 
mother of the Son of God, her influence stretches far into 2016 today, right? I mean, you can just, you can just kind of walk around the streets of Medford and, and meet, you know, a couple of dozen people, and, and you're liable to meet someone with the name Mary or some variation, right? I have plenty of friends around here, Maria, Marie, Mary, uh, some variation or combination of the name Mary. And so what we learn from this story, what we see in her example is that the wonder of worship teaches us to magnify God for his work for us and for all people. This is what Mary is doing here. She is, she is magnifying God. She is praising God for what he has done for her and what he is doing for all people. Okay, so that's the, the first encouragement I want to give you is this. The wonder of worship, as we're going to, to see as we work our way through Mary's song, is that the, the wonder of worship is intensely personal. It's intensely personal. Uh, look back at verse 46. It starts off and it says, my soul. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is coming from deep within her. She is singing God's praise, and, and we see here that praise involves magnification, all right? Uh, it means to, to show greatness, okay? Um, it's to bring something into clearer view. That's what we do when we magnify something, right? So this is, this is magnification, as someone taught me a while ago, okay? This is magnification, not like a microscope, okay? That would have it backwards, right? Because what do microscopes do? They make small things appear big, Right? It's not, a, it's not a microscopic kind of picture here, but it's more of a telescopic picture, right? That, that brings big things that, are, that seem small, and, and then we begin to see how big they really are, right? Like a, a comet. Did you know that the tail of a comet, that all we can see is like a speck in the sky on a good day, on a good night? Um, that tail will, will reach up to six million miles long. And you thought it was a little speck floating through the galaxy. And this is what we do when we magnify God, where we're saying, God, you are much greater than I know. You are much bigger and better than I know. And I want to lift you up. I want to praise you for who you are. And I hope that other people, as I magnify your greatness, will come to discover your greatness as well. So praise is a magnification, and praise is also full of joy. All right, we sing joy to the Lord. Praise and joy, they always, or at least they always should, go together. I mean, you know, we can, we can sing this Christmas season. We can, we can sing, you know, it's the most. Here I go again. You're not ready for that. You didn't know I was going to sing this. I didn't either. I was praying about it. About it. Like, should I sing or just say these lyrics? I'm going to sing today, all right? No YouTube clips after this, okay? Um, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And then another like, verse like, it's the hap happiest season. Like, we can sing that and be absolutely measurable on the inside, right? We can hear those words and kind of, you know, mumble them along, but, but on the inside, we know that we're absolutely a wreck. We're miserable. We can... We can learn something here from Mary. This is certainly not the case for her. Okay, this is not a manufactured moment, but this is something that is sincere in the cry of her soul. 
It's, it's not determined by external circumstances, right? Like this time of the year, it's like, hey, a few more gifts and, and my joy will be elevated. And it's like, no, it's, it's not dependent on our external circumstances because it's coming from within. It's produced by God on the inside. And because we are responding to who God is and what he's done for us on, on the inside, in our spirit, in our soul, we are then bubbling up on the outside and making it known to people because of what God has done for us. Mary was so joyful and she desired to magnify God because of his grace toward her. And so look, look back in verse 46 and 7. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. What? In God my Savior. Mary is so elated and exalting God for who he is and what he's done because of his grace toward her. Salvation is a gift that absolutely everyone needs. To save means to be healed. It means to be uh, renewed, all of the brokenness around us. Salvation is God's gift to us through Jesus. In fact, the the name Jesus, perhaps you didn't know this before today, but but the name Jesus actually means, it's translated, God saves, Jehovah saves. This is a common Hebrew name for a child, Joshua. Jesus, God saves. And and Mary here is saying, this this is so important, right? She is saying, God, my Savior. There's, a, there's, a, there's more than a hint of irony here that, that God, her Savior, is, is in her womb, about to be brought into the world. Okay, this is just like a sidebar here. I don't want to spend long on this, but, but this is one reason I could never affirm the uh, doctrine that, that some churches have taught that's called the Immaculate Conception of Mary. It says that she was born without original sin and therefore lived a sinless life. Because clearly she's saying right here, hey, I need a savior. Like, why would she need a savior if she hadn't sinned like you and me? So we need to be careful not to elevate Mary to where she doesn't belong. We should never worship Mary. But I tell you what, we shouldn't go the other way and and not honor her. We shouldn't not imitate her faith for how she is responding to God. She was a special woman and God showed her unbelievable favor in her humble estate. Look at, look at what she goes on to say. She says, um, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because God has looked on my humble estate. Mary was probably around the age of 14. She came from a town known as Nazareth. And as the story of Jesus unfolds, people would find out that he was from Nazareth and they would say, hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? Okay, it's like basically a hick town out in the sticks. Like greatness doesn't come from there. Mary was of humble estate. She did not live in the the palace. Okay, she was probably pretty poor. As we'll see in a couple of weeks as we go move into Luke 2, when they came to offer a sacrifice in the temple, they didn't bring, you know, sheep and, and bulls and goats. Okay, they just brought two little doves because that's clearly all that they could afford to bring. This would have been shocking 
for Mary of Nazareth, of humble estate, to bear the Savior of the world. But listen, this is who God is and this is what God does. God surprises us by choosing the unlikely to accomplish his purposes. And so maybe, like, maybe, and I've, I've been there before, and I, and I return there on, on certain days and weeks and months where it's just like, God, can you really use me here? Like, God, surely you wouldn't, I'm surprised that you would even love someone like me. How, how would you even begin to work through someone like me? If you have those thoughts, listen, you're, you're in good company because, listen, it doesn't matter where you're from, what you have, who you are, you, God can work through any one of us. And he desires to work through all of us. So listen, you may say, look, I immigrated here. People don't think much of me. I don't even speak the language very well. I don't have much. You won't find me shopping at Assembly Row, you know, on the weekend. I sort of won't be down on Newberry Street, okay? It's like, I don't have much. I'm not from where people wish I were from. And yet, these are the people that God loves to use for his purposes. Mary has an unbelievable story, an incredible story. And this is what she gets at in verse 49. I love verse 49. She says this, for he, she sings, right? She sings, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. God's long-awaited Messiah was going to come into the world through her. And if this, I mean, this was absolutely crazy and stupefying for Mary, and, and yet the crazy thing for her and the crazy thing for us is that God's story that he had planned from the very beginning to send his Savior into the world, that, that, that her story would become part of God's story. Or to say it another way, her story was swept up into the story of God. And God wants to sweep us up into his story as well. No matter, no matter where you are in your journey, if you have already been pulled into the story of God, or if you're exploring who Jesus is, and, and you may sense that God is kind of pulling you into his story, even, even in this season of your life, we pray that it is the case. We would love to help you discover more of how you can connect to God's story. Whatever it is, listen, God wants to write an amazing story in your life. And so I just would ask you a couple of questions. Listen, um, what is your story? What is your song? Like, what, what would the verses say in 2016 of the story that God is writing in your life? What story can you share this Christmas season? The Lord has done great things for me. Holy is his name. You say, Tanner, I'm not too sure. I have to really think about that. Okay, let me, let me, just, let me just throw out a little, little help for you, okay? Um, if you can answer this question, then you can begin to write your story and share your story. Because here's a simple question. How has Jesus changed you? 
Like, like how if you stepped into the story of Jesus, then he is changing us, right? Like however slowly for some, some of us, like this is kind of slow, it feels slow, but, but he's changing us, right? Like the gospel, the good news of, of Jesus is changing us. So how is he changing you? However you would answer that, boom, the moment you can answer that, there's your story. And so perhaps some of you would say, look, you know what? I've, I've seen this year that because of, because of who God is, because I know God's in control, I worry a little less in my life. Some of you would say, you know what? I've discovered that, that I serve other people much more naturally than I used to. Others of you would say, you know what? Man, I work a little harder. Like I, I used to be a little more lazy at work, but now I'm more focused at work. Like God is in that. His grace is in that. He made us for that. I'm not fighting that addiction. I give more generously. I'm more transparent because the gospel frees me from being concerned about what people will think about me. I'm more sacrificial toward my friends. I trust God more in the storm. Some of you would even say, look, I believe in Jesus now. Like I, didn't, I was very skeptical about the story of Jesus, but now I believe in Jesus and I have a peace and a love and a joy that I never knew could even exist. Now it's present in me. It's with me wherever I go. I need everyone to do me a favor this morning. Do not tell me you don't have a story. Don't tell me you don't have a story, okay? Because the, the, the crime in that is that you're not primarily shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging God. So don't tell me you don't have a story. If you are in Christ, you have a story. And then do me another favor, okay? Do not, please do not, and I'm encouraging myself as much as I'm encouraging you this morning, okay? Do not keep that story to yourself. Because the wonder of the story is so much more wonderful when we let other people into our story. You know what? You could, you could just take five minutes this afternoon. You could take five minutes and you could put a few bullet points on a piece of paper or on your uh, app on your phone and you could just write down, hey, this is how God is changing my story. This is how God is writing his good story in my life. And I didn't want to do this without, I didn't want to encourage you to do that without doing it myself. So I just want to share a little bit with you, okay? This isn't comprehensive. I just took five minutes to think about some kind of keynotes of my story in 2016. And so maybe if we're hanging out at the Christmas reception and, uh, you know, or, or on the 23rd or, or some other, you know, uh, function or party or what, like, maybe some of these things would come up, okay? So no, number one, I would say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more patient, I'm not as patient as I want to be, all right? But I'm a little more patient when things don't go as planned. And if I want to get super transparent, I should say when things don't go as I plan, right? <laughs> Number two, I'm quicker to not just give help, okay? Like pastors give a lot of help. That's like, that's part of our job description. We're not giving help. Um, we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, all right? But I'm not only quicker to give help, but I'm quicker to receive help. Number three, I'm, I'm much more open to share about my struggles and my joys. I think, I think, I love this one. I think I value time with family more than ever before. 
Just the older that I get, the more that I love being with my children and with my wife and with my family. I'm going to throw friends into this as well. I value that time even more. That's part of my story this year. And then finally, I'm really, really thankful, really thankful that I've been able to talk Jesus with people that I've gotten to know around Medford, and I've seen a few of them step into the story of Jesus this year. Those are all highlights of the story that God is writing in my life. And listen, that doesn't make me special. I'm, I'm no different than, we all have a story here. And whatever story God writes, it's a good story. And so I want to encourage you, what is that story? What's your story? One, one of the things as I start to think about next year, okay, 2017 is coming quick. Um, I, I hope that 2017 is the year of the story at Redemption Hill. You know what I'm saying? Like, we are going to do a better job of capturing stories and telling stories and, and, and letting, letting one another know and letting our community know these stories that God writes that, that matter not only for us, but for everyday life and wherever we are. So let's get, like, you better practice this afternoon, okay? I'm telling you. I want some bullet points, all right? I'm going to be asking, like, what's your story this year, all right? And if you look at me in a blank stare, we're just going to talk, all right? And we're going to figure out your story, all right? Because I'm, I'm full of grace. Like, try to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. All right, we're going to do story time this year. I hope you're ready. All right, so, so that, is, that is what Mary is doing here. She's singing her story of praise to God, magnifying him, joyful about it for what he has done for her. But then number two, she doesn't stop there. Though it's intensely personal, she doesn't stop with herself, but she goes on and she exalts God's work for all people. We see this beginning in verse 50. She, she says simply, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. This, this movement here is, is what happens for those who experience the work of God. You see, praise begins when we see God clearly. But, but when we then praise, we don't want to keep that praise just for ourselves, but we begin to recognize that God is doing a work that is much bigger than his work in me, and his work is available for all people, right? Like, no matter what the background, ethnicity, socioeconomic, like, it's for everyone. And so Mary just, just says, look, um, I'm going to praise you, God, for your mercy for all those who fear you, okay? And this is like a kind of a strange term, like what does it mean to fear God? And what that means is to uh, respect him, to revere him higher than anyone or anything that will flow into a love for him that is higher for him than anyone or anything. And so for those that are experiencing God in that way, she gives a flurry of praise that is really, if, if we study it closely, is similar to what she has just said for herself, right? She begins by saying his mercy is for those who fear him, all right? So as the Puritan pastor Richard Sibbs once said, I love this quote, he says, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. 
You might want to write that down. That's good, all right? Uh, There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. God is full of mercy. He is full of grace. He is full of salvation to those people like you and me that don't deserve his salvation. And I love this this picture. Um, She says, it's from generation to generation. And this is a song, right? So she didn't want to like break off the chorus probably and like say generation to generation to generation to generation to generation to generation to generation, you know, like, but, but this is like, this is what she's saying. It's like a, it's like a snowball or it's like an avalanche that gets stronger as it moves forward because listen, God's mercy is reaching more and more people. And so this mercy is expanding and growing as more and more people hear the gospel and step into the gospel. His mercy is for all people. And then verse 51 starts talking about the strength of God, this, this kind of imagery. It's, it's, it's a picture of, of his arm is, is what works to accomplish his purposes. And so I love the, what, what Mary's singing about here, all right? If you want to do a little deeper study, okay, you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you'll find another song from another woman who was going to have another unlikely birth. Her name was Hannah. She was going to have one of Israel's greatest priests named Samuel. And there are themes in, in Hannah's song that show up in Mary's song, which tells us that Mary probably really understood the, the Old Testament, right? She understood the scriptures. She knew God's story. And she's praising God like Hannah praised God for his paradoxical kingdom, okay? Like, what I mean by that is that in God's kingdom, the rich become poor and the poor become rich, Those who are filled end up being hungry, and those who are hungry end up being filled. This is is not only true oftentimes in a physical sense, but, but the picture primarily is one of a spiritual sense. As we come to God in need, poverty stricken and and hungry, God is faithful to give us what we need. He is faithful to fill us with himself. God makes the strong weak and the weak strong. He makes the first last and the last first. And we really need to hear this today because like, if, if we want in on God's salvation, uh, we need to be of humble estate like Mary was of humble estate. It's the only way that salvation will come to us. It's to say like God, it begins with saying, God, I need you. I need this gift that you offer, right? Like, God offers the world a gift, but, but only those who see their need will actually receive the gift. And so I would ask you today, have you received the gift? Can you, with Mary, say that, that God is your salvation because you have received the gift of salvation that God offers you through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection? God, Jesus died that we might have life. He gives us everything we need through what he has done for us. And so Mary is praising God for all of his work. And and she sums it up in in this way. Um, In verses 54 and 5, she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
So, so what, what Mary is saying here, okay, don't miss this, all right? Mary is saying that God's avalanchic mercy, yeah, I made that up, all right? God's avalanchic mercy is so certain that nothing, absolutely nothing can stop it from coming to pass, okay? So just real quick, a little technical here, okay? The, the most respected scholars that know the Gospel of Luke very, very well would say that the tense here, when, when, when Mary is like, it sounds like she's speaking in the past tense, this would be called a, a Greek aorist, means a completed action, all right? They are saying that she is, she is singing in what could be called a prophetic aorist, all right? In other words, it's a completed action that's coming, and it's so certain that we can absolutely bank on it. God fulfills his promises. He, he doesn't let one of his promises fall to the ground. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. He is faithful as the coming of the dawn. Have you ever woken up and, and not seen the sun rise in the sky? The Bible says God is that faithful. It's, it's like that. And so God will bring his salvation. He will mend all brokenness. He will heal us exactly where we need to be healed if we will but hold out our hands and receive his gift this Christmas season and every Christmas season. And so it's in light of this faithfulness of God that we worship him. The wonder of worship flows from the faithfulness of God to uphold his promises and to fulfill everything that he wants for his world. And so I just want to ask you as we come to a close and before I pray, listen, uh, has God been merciful to you? Do you have a reason to sing? And if that is the case, and I hope it is for you, then what will be the story in your song? And who will hear of God's salvation through you this Christmas season? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that we have hundreds of reasons to sing. God, we can come up with more than five bullet points for surely for what you've done in our lives. And so, God, I pray for my friends here, that, and I pray for myself, that you would help us to see you and to see what you've done and to praise you for your work and to magnify you for your work and to be joyful about your work and what you've done, so much so that in our praise of you, that others would hear of our song. And they wouldn't think that we're special, but they would think that there's a special work going on in us because we know a special God, the only God who offers this gift to all people. So God, may our story be uh, vibrant and may our story be compelling as we share it with as many people as we possibly can this Christmas season, all for your magnification and praise, and thankfully also for our joy as well. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.